Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost. Each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the founders, CEOs, leaders and clinicians who are changing the face of healthcare and leading the healthcare revolution in the UK and beyond. And today's show is very much about the beyond, as you'll find out. So as regular listeners know, I'm the CEO and founder of a health tech venture myself called PopDoc. PopDoc support the show, so thank you very much to everyone there. If you want to find out more, head to mypocdoc.co.uk and learn about how we're revolutionizing access to the cardiovascular heart health pathway. Um, Go check it out or find me on the socials. I want to, as ever, say thank you very much to everyone listening live on UK Health Radio. UK Health Radio is an amazing station for anyone interested in any aspect of health. There are shows scheduled and going out 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can catch them also now on Spotify. So um, our numbers listening live are going up and up, which is which is excellent. So thank you very much for everyone tuning in. Also, thank you to anyone who is listening on any of the podcast channels. Um, it's Health Tech Hour on Spotify or any of the others, Amazon, Google, we're on all of them, or uh, the Health Tech Hour channel on YouTube if you're watching us. So thank you very much. We have we just pulled the numbers and we're now being listened to in over 36 countries every month. And it looks like we've just sort of tapped into a whole rich area of people listening in the Middle East. So hello, Saudi. Hello, Qatar. Hello, Dubai. Hello, Bahrain. We've got some Southeast Asian countries coming on. So Thailand. Hello, Vietnam. Hello. We've also got South America, Chile, Brazil, Panama, Ecuador. Hello. And obviously our standard ones, US and UK and Switzerland and Germany and France and all those good people. So hello, everybody. We're a very global show now um, and the numbers are going up. So so since January, the listeners to the podcast have gone up five fivefold. So that's great. And that's um, testament to the guests that we have on. And today is no different. So before I carry on with that, I just want to apologize because next door to the studio uh, in the building next door, they've started to drill. So producer Johan is going to hate that. Hopefully you guys listening won't hear it. Um, not my fault. Out of my control, you know, control the controllables. And that's something that I can't do anything about. So on to today's show. Um, this week, we have an excellent and very interesting guest on. So no pressure. Uh, Lise Narusk from Certific. So Certific was founded during the pandemic by Lise. Dr. Jack Kreindler, who is sort of describes himself as a clinician, health tech founder and explorer, and Tarvat Hinrichus, who many people might know is the billionaire founder of TransferWise. One of the it's one of the one of the great things about this startup is that it actually began life partly wholly in Estonia. And for a lot of people listening, particularly in the UK, they may be unaware about the the pace and the level and the excitement around the innovation 
um, in, in digital technology across the board, but particularly in healthcare coming out of Estonia was one of the reasons that I wanted to get Lisa on the show because I think it's it's very, very, very useful, very interesting to look beyond the UK and the US. I think that both those markets take up a lot of our time and thinking and focus. And actually, there's some amazing stuff happening outside of those markets, sometimes very much because you're outside of those markets. Like in the UK, the NHS tends to skew quite a bit of stuff. Um, so look, I think it's great to get her on the show. Um, Certific has has done a few different things, but they now are focused on helping GPs talk digitally with patients and digitizing that GP level care across Europe. Um, they're in a number of countries across Europe and um, it's all very, very exciting. So Lise, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Uh, thank Good. you for having me. No problem. Am I saying your name correctly? Lise, is that correct? Yes, Lise. It's like Lise, okay, great. Estonian version. Yeah, good. I, I spent one show, to be fair to me, early on in the run, referring to a, a guest who was called Marcel. I, I called him Marcus the whole time. So I um, at least I just want to make sure we're off on the right foot. So lot to kind of cover off. Um, let's start with some background, I think, on Estonia and the Estonian technology ecosystem. I want to try and use the beginning of the show to kind of get people up to speed on why Estonia is now one of the sort of foremost innovation capitals and hubs as far as digital technology goes, um, particularly in Europe. So what um, what was it like or has it been like in Estonia over the last 10 to 20 years around digital technology? Is it just like something that happened organically or was there something very specific? And, you know, how how much do you guys realize that you are innovators and are at the forefront versus how much is just sort of happening naturally? Yeah, wow. Uh, it's great to start off with that. And I'm always a very, uh, very happy to and proud to be representing uh, the 1.3 million uh, country that is Estonia. And and truth be told, during the past 30 years of our independ- independence, uh, we have been quite, we've ha- we have done quite a remarkable journey from, you know, breaking free from the Soviet Union, starting from scratch, having an, literally nothing when it comes to, you know, you start a country, like you start a startup, there's nothing. And, uh, yeah. and actually one cool thing that, uh, the first smart people, the first prime minister, Martlar and others did uh, in Estonia was that, uh, they actually did run Estonia like a startup and they have, they, they have said it out later that like, for example, there was Finland offering us some telecommunications network solution, uh, that they have been used, had been using for the past, I don't know, 20 years. And, and some people had the smartness of, to say that, no, we're going to build our own from scratch. Uh, and, and things started, started from there. And, uh, and there were other things like partly it has, it has been organic and, and mainly due to our maybe closeness to, to the Nordics. And we do consider ourselves a more Nordic country these days, close to Finland and, and Sweden. Uh, but also due to some really smart decisions when it comes to making the ID card uh, compulsory for all of the people in Estonia, which uh, led the ground for most of our digital innovations in the country, meaning that we have uh, digital health records have had for the past, I don't know, 15 years. I can see all my yeah. health records online. I can access, I can see who has been looking at them. I own them and the whole data play has been really uh, 
and uh, I think really, really strongly and well developed in Estonia. Uh, and uh, today, Estonia has most startups per capita in in Europe, and uh, and a lot of unicorns coming out. You mentioned one, uh, Wise, formerly known as TransferWise, Wise being one of them, yeah, and Bolt being one of them. So, and, um, so just to get to to take a step back into that, what um. Was it like, do you believe, let's just focus on health for a second. Was at some point there a concerted policy decision that somebody took to say, because 15 years ago to digitize the electronic health record was like really early. I mean, there are still like some countries that haven't really done it. The NHS has sort of done it, which, which you know, it's kind of done it a little, you know, it's, it's, it, but, but that was really early. So was it like a consult, was it a um, consistent or, or sort of policy decision, or was it just definitely? Oh, okay. No, no, it definitely wasn't random. Like I'm, I'm sometimes uh, amazed to this to this day. Like where did those people get that wisdom? At, yeah, at fifteen days, years ago, like fifteen twenty years back, to make those decisions that have carried us until this point, which makes us mo- most like digit one of the most digitally savvy nations in the world. So, uh, yeah. so uh, yes. Uh, the legislation was definitely done in the correct way, which I mentioned that ID card was uh, obligatory. Uh, it was also said that the health data and data belongs to the citizens. They have the right to understand and know what happens to that, which also laid, laid the ground or laid the, uh, was laying the ground for for uh, increased trust towards towards the yeah. governmental solutions. So uh, we've always like we don't have really an issue in Estonia when it comes to uh, using e-government, e-health, um, e-getting married, e-notary solutions. Yeah. So uh, I think the only thing you can't do in Estonia digitally used to be getting married. Uh, a couple of months back, they changed that too. So, <laughs> so it's like you don't need. How to do you get? Married. How do you get married? How do you get? How do you get married digitally? You do it over Zoom, or what do you do? With, yeah, with an with an ID card and mobile ID, how, where you sign your, uh, give your signature. Uh, I I have I have uh, bought the real estate while never leaving my house uh, and sold sold it also the same way. So, right. And how much of that in Estonia do you think is a function of having one point three million people, which is just a smaller number of people to deal with, versus? But like you could argue the flip side of that. Uh, that the, the structures and policies and principles s- could scale with population size. So you can argue both sides of it, you know? Um, yes and no. Uh, Estonia, at least when it comes to the startup sector and the tech sector, is really closely knit. Like I, be- I belong to the Estonian Founders Association, which has all the startup founders of Estonia who really like are helping each other out on a daily basis with different topics. but. Uh, on the other hand, if you decide to make a policy change or or uh, or a, or enact a law, then it doesn't matter if you have 1.3 million or or 13 or 30 million people. It's, if it's a law, yeah. it's it's a law, right? So uh, so in that sense, I think it's doable everywhere. Uh, I don't think it's it depends on the size at all. I think it would be interesting to know, and I'm, I don't I don't know whether anyone has done this research, but it's sort of the more the bigger your country the bigger the institutions that you're trying to change or disrupt the more people are involved the more vested interests are involved the more the more the resistance from changing the incumbent 
is involved. I don't know. There's probably some research about that somewhere. But I, you know, I could see like I could see that being one of the main the main factors in it. But I don't know. True. Uh, obviously, if you if you have smaller institutions and less people to convince, then uh, then it's easier, and you you find it you find it uh, less uh, less cumbersome or or taking less time to to go around and tell people about your novel ideas and then get them on board. But again, if yeah. <laughs> I, 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 again somebody should do the research if it actually impacts because uh, many of these decisions done back in the days when we just started out uh, in 90s as a as a new fresh country then uh, it was just about really bold decisions and something yeah i think it was like really clear you can and you can see the impact of very clever policy decisions right very forward thinking policy decisions that are focused on the right outcome right where do we think we need to get to in 20 years time as opposed to trying to kind of put the fire out today. So awesome. So what um, what was it that, I guess, inspired the beginning of Certific? Like what was that initial period of time like and what fed into the business and how it was created? Uh, wow. Um, several factors, I would say. One of them, I like. I can't leave out the pandemic and the effect. I've heard of it. I, I, I heard of it. I heard it was a big thing. <laughs> it was a big it, thing. It, it, yeah, obviously it was. And and it was a horrible experience for all of us, but it also brought about several new, I think, innovations in healthcare and, and kind of boosted the whole health tech sector quite a bit uh, and also governments to act. So in that sense, uh, we started Certific uh, because we saw how broken the healthcare system was. <laughs> like you, you, you kind of saw it before. Uh, yeah. I don't know when was the last time you tried to access uh, or get through to your GP. Hard. They can yeah. be hard. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, did you try to do it do it during the pandemic? It was even harder, right? Yeah. Exactly. So do you mean at this point, like everywhere, or did you mean? like the UK to begin with or what, what I, did you I would say everywhere but obviously right. UK is one of the one of the worst when it comes to access to healthcare in uh, in in the world as I've as I've heard uh, recently yeah. uh, so basically uh, in Estonia it was the same I think it was the same everywhere so basically yeah. if you want to access your doctor uh, only for do to, to do a COVID test which is a simple test uh, especially when it's uh, not PCR if it's the rapid test then the whole logic of why do I need to go to a doctor to do a simple procedure when I could do it in my own home was, yeah. the, was the reason why, why we started Certific and seeing how much of the healthcare sector could be improved by, uh, by automating many of the mundane tasks and pushing more responsibility onto the patients uh, instead of the doctors. So and and before that I was uh, I was working uh, with my own consultancy company before that even I was working in banking and like I've always had the idea that uh, when I left banking in 2016 uh, quite uninspired uh, by the energy I put in and and by the by the <laughs> impact I could make so yeah. so uh, I figured that uh, there are kind of three E's where I could put my energy in one is education one is environment and the third one is e-health so okay. so I, know, I, I was i was gonna i mean i'm i'm no spelling genius but but i was wondering <laughs> where you were gonna go with that last one so e-health 
That's e-health. Clever. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, e-health, uh, we have, we have e-Estonia, we have e-government, we have e-everything. So e-health yeah. was the third one. And uh, and yeah, then uh, life gave me certificate. Uh, and right. I actually do consider it part, kind of my, my mission. So. Okay. So like, I know, obviously, um, you know, I've known your co-founder, Jack Kreindler, for quite a number of years. He's an awesome guy. And um, you sort of, I think you sort of mentioned it there. The beginning of it was around um, helping people or sort of providing a platform and support platform for individuals to take more responsibility and more personal uh, agency over certain aspects of their healthcare, which was inspired clearly by that very clear use case as far as COVID is concerned, which is why would I have to go to a clinical environment to do a COVID test? You know, I can do it wherever. Um, and so from that kind of like initial insight, how did you sort of move from that to actually structuring and building a business? Because it's a very good insight, don't get me wrong, but you still had to do a huge amount to then build a business off the back of that, I would suspect, or start a company. Well, uh, how do how do you start a startup? Uh, you take a problem, you try to understand if it's big enough, uh, if it's like worth solving as a, as a startup. You know, there are many yeah. great companies out there. You can also do an NGO to solve something, but uh, but uh, probably because of our backgrounds and and Tavet was involved, and then we didn't see any other way to. We wanted to impact the lives of millions of people, not just a few. So uh, so we started creating the first prototype uh, of the platform. Uh, we launched it as soon as possible, got some initial customer feedback, uh, realized that the solution works, then went on to improve it. And then a um, couple of months later, did a, did a festival of 15,000 people in UK where 95% used our, used our solution and, um, and went from there. So. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, and what was like, as someone that's not, born and bred in the UK what was your initial impressions of the UK healthcare system how honest can I be yeah it's up to you we're on live radio so you can be as honest as you want but as I said you can't swear so within those ranges you know you say what you want I have to admit that I was swearing quite a bit in the beginning and then I got used to it so um, I, I can't even like yes UK is several times bigger than in Estonia but I I have to admit it's it's not uh, it's not all flowers and rainbows in Estonia either uh I think the similar problems the problems are the same everywhere uh especially when it comes to novel digital solutions when you try to penetrate the market uh during your first days while not having all the uh usual uh, kind of uh, um uh kind of permits and papers in order yet and then you need to get them so the question is does the counterpart even understand what you're trying to do and that's the same in Estonia and in UK uh, especially with novel technologies so that took a lot of time to get through to the decision makers what is it that we're actually trying to achieve that it's not something uh, you know cheating uh, unhealthy, uh, putting the people's uh, lives in danger and so on. So proving the quality, proving that you're doing the right thing and actually trying to solve the problem. 
was this like still geared around COVID or was you, because I know that you looked at other areas and other conditions and things like that. Or was it, it, sort it, doesn't, of... it doesn't matter. It wasn't only geared, uh, geared around uh, COVID, uh, but it, it was the same. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what we tried to achieve. We also tried to, or were doing uh, STI testing. Uh, we were also doing uh, bladder infection, UTI testing. So but the, the question is about how you do it and the technology component involved and getting that across that it's actually something that is worth investing in and allowing uh, us to help the healthcare system. So, yeah. uh, for example, yeah, in, Estonia, I, I... in Estonia, the health board didn't understand either uh, what kind of permit do they need to give us. So we had to buy a bunch of uh, bunch of doctor's equipment into our offices to make sure that we have all the boxes ticked <laughs> to be to be able to. <laughs> Okay, I love that. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, a pop doc where we, I mean, we sort of share a similar ethos around moving testing or, or evaluation out, outside of a, you know, GP's office or, or, or laboratory, just purely out of need and necessity. Um, you know, there needs to be a massive increase in access to diagnostics, and that can't really happen in the current systems that we currently have. And as, as users and individuals and patients become more capable and more open to using digital technology or interacting with digital technology in a kind of a third neutral venue, like a pharmacy or a clinical corporate or community center or a workplace, you know, we also see no reason why you shouldn't provide solutions in those spaces. I think what was interesting about what you guys did, which, which was effectively to be kind of like diagnostic, test agnostic, but you wanted to, or, or you built effectively the, the digital platform that would allow anyone to do any test anywhere and have it integrated back into the healthcare system, which I thought was kind of a novel approach to the issue. It, it still is, and we still want to do it. But what we realized is that we needed an, a better entry point into the healthcare system, which is the platform we're building now, the communication tool uh, between GPs and patients. So uh, in that sense, we haven't given up on our uh, our vision to enable right. more patients to do more things for themselves. I think that's an ex. It's like almost like you saw my show script. That was an excellent segue into our first commercial break, because after the break, we're going to get into how you transitioned into this communications platform and, you know, how that's going. And I think I really want to dig into um First of all, the value that that brings and which 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 I, I believe in, but also particularly the the traction and the different market situations, because I know that you've scaled this out across a number of other European markets, not the UK. And I think that that's really interesting to talk about, partly because we've probably got listeners in some of these places, but also partly to try and make people understand who are UK based or US based or whatever, that there is a much bigger picture out there of different healthcare systems at different stages of of innovation and complexity. Um so, yeah, we will be right back after this short break with Lise Narusk, the CEO and co-founder of Certific. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Apples and pears, beef and skittles, cider with rosy, common or garden, ant and deck. Fish and chips, mum and dad. UK Health Radio and Health Triangle magazine. Each is good by itself, but enjoying both is always better. 
Add Health Triangle magazine to your monthly health regime. Check it out at UKHealthRadio.com. Strawberries and cream. Once upon a time, human slavery was just a fact of life. Right now, animal abuse is often considered normal. In time, it won't be. Animal Aid campaigns peacefully against all forms of animal abuse and promotes cruelty-free living. Check out animalaid.org.uk. It's time for a kinder world. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and my guest this week, Lee Starusk, who is the CEO and co-founder of Certific, Certific Health. Um, so, Lise, you basically gave me the perfect lead into the commercial break um, and the end of the first section by talking about how Certific has now is now focusing on a slight change uh, and is approaching this issue of communication, communications platform between patients and GPs, or whatever a GP is called in all these kind of different countries. We call it a GP here, but I'm sure they're called all kinds of different things in different places. So um, do you want to just, what would be helpful just to begin with is like, as you said before, you know, what's the problem that you, that you found and, and, and the solution you guys came up with and, you know, I know it differs across different territories and you've taken a really interesting approach there. So, yeah, over to you. What's the what's the problem that you guys discovered? Uh, the, the problem uh, we are solving, as I mentioned, uh, is still closely related uh, to what we initially started with, uh, enabling more patients to do more things for themselves from the comfort of their homes and also keeping people away from the doctor's office. So uh, as we all know, the, the access to healthcare is one of the biggest problems in healthcare today. Uh, 44% of uh, doctors' tasks today are admin tasks. Uh, One-fourth of that can be cut cut by automation. At the same time, I think around uh, 11,000 people only in EU are waiting more than 18 months to start the treatment. Uh, Sorry, in UK. And in EU, that percentage is like around 20%. Uh, who still have an unmet need uh, after the pandemic because they haven't been able to access their GP. So, like, on top of that, there's a shortage of healthcare professionals. Uh, There is a huge rise in uh, lifestyle illnesses. Uh, There's aging population problem. So if you combine all of these, then another yet another telehealth solution will will not solve the problem because you still need doctors on the the other side. So we're really strongly believing in automation and pushing more responsibility onto the patients. So what we've been building uh, and what we've launched uh, in over 30 clinics in Estonia, in a couple of clinics in Romania, in a couple uh, pilots starting in Ireland and and a few other places uh, is uh, a GP and patient communication platform where we automate many of the mundane tasks that the GPs need to deal with uh, today. And uh, and we provide the, the GPs uh, easy and secure platform to communicate with their patients where the patients can fill in their health problems. And we provide the clinicians with an automated clinical summary uh, as a core proposi- proposition of our, our plat- platform. But there are many other things we do on the background, uh, task management, 
uh, and uh, and other things. So uh, what we've what we realized so far, on top of getting uh, really great feedback from the patients and from the doctors about the overall usability, convenience, and and access issue, uh, is that we are able to actually save around six minutes of of GP time per um, per one uh, consult. And on top of that, we can also increase the quality level of the consult because uh, in our pathways, the patient is asked all the critical questions uh, and prompted next critical questions in case they, they reply something that needs additional uh, uh, information or input. So, uh, and, and as we know, just saving a couple of minutes uh, of doctor's time uh, actually save, uh, sorry, five minutes of GP consult time saved equals 280 uh, billion uh, pounds uh, for UK government only. So in in terms of time measurement and, and cost-saving uh, effort, then he, these are huge numbers. So give us an example, or like if you can, of like real pay. No, I don't mean like Mr. Smith. I mean, but just more like, like a walkthrough, right? So like... What would that look like for a real patient with a potentially real issue? Just so we're all on the same page, like how? Yeah. What would that kind of step by step feel like? Do you experience? Do you ever experience headaches, for example? Uh, the usual usual thing. Uh, what you do if you if you have a reoccurring headache, you call or write to your doctor and you try to get through to them, uh, try to get to the bottom of the issue. While using the certificates platform, then there are dedicated pathways on our platform uh, where you can fill in uh, a questionnaire, which then prompts you next questions based based on your previous questions, and on top uh, at the end gives the doctor a summary of your condition, which means that they can get a much quicker overview of your uh, problem, uh, reply to you immediately through the platform. They can also prescribe you a medication through the platform without ever talking to you if they see that fit, or they they might want to call you back if if they feel that there is a need to clarify something. And on the background, uh, they can easily uh, sort uh, and understand all the problems in the queue uh, regarding the patients, uh, different patients and different uh, ailments, and they can also uh, see uh, who has. Get, got the response already and who hasn't and so on. So there is a, a lot of back, background clinic management uh, tooling uh, for the GPs and nurses. And was this like, I guess it depends, different country, different market will be different, but what what's the current state of play that you're, you know, improving on or competing with, for want of a better word? Like what's the current best in class in practice out here for that stuff? Well, uh, there are several players uh, approaching the similar kind of access and admin tasks burden issue from from kind of similar uh, different aspects. Uh, there are a few uh, players in Europe that are doing something similar, not quite similar. Dr. Lib in France, uh, Acurix in UK. So, but uh, but regarding uh, how we approach it. Uh, with impeccable UX and also uh, giving the doctors uh, the time, their time back and also the vision where we want to get to, which I mentioned before, 
uh, is that we actually do want to reach the point where we can enable much more uh, procedures be done uh, from your home than uh, than previously allowed or expected. Okay. So the, when it comes to the vision, then we don't see any other uh, players doing something similar. Okay, and is the what's the so I know that you mentioned that twenty percent of people across the EU don't have access or haven't been able to see their GP. I think that was something that you said. Um, so how would your system help improve that? Because it would still be a digital interaction, right? So what do you, how, how is the, how's that going to flow through? Or is it makes it more efficient because GP's time is just being used more efficiently? Exactly. Uh, it's, it's twofold. Uh, first of all, the, as I mentioned, the admin tasks take a lot of time for the GPs currently. Many of those can be automated. Uh, so for one fourth, at least from the from the forty four percent of their time now going on admin tasks can be cut by automation, and this is what we we uh, want to do. Which means that that this enables doctors to focus more on patients, see more more of their patients' problems, and actually deal with uh, treating the patient and not with admin. So this is our Correct. first and foremost problem we want to solve. And like. What has been the reaction from clinicians in, you know, Estonia and Romania and Ireland, which is where you guys are rolling it out now? Like, are they, what, what, what have they said? Obviously, they've said it's good because they're, they're doing it. But just, you know, what, what, what more kind of insights have you got? This type of platform only does work when both patients and doctors like it. So there's no kind of it doesn't need to be liked only by doctors. Uh, but uh, but the, the doctors have said that, first of all, what it helps them to do is better understand their workflow. So we are taking away the problem of them needing to communicate with patients in different channels, for example, email, phone calls. Uh, some of them in Romania talk to their patients in WhatsApp. Uh, pro- obviously, there's a right. huge security uh, issue already, but yeah. also it it's makes not very traceable or auditable. Yeah. And it makes them juggle just different channels and 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 be super stressed out. So first thing we do yeah. is we provide a single communication channel where you can share your files, uh, upload documents, understand the, everything related to the patient's current health problem and uh, reply to them and ask them to write back to you whenever you see fit. Uh, for example, you can lock the com- communication for a certain period of time. So it gives them more control and they feel empowered of the actual communication flow uh, with the patient. Sure. I, t- I totally see the value in centralizing all communication flow through a single platform that's auditable, traceable, um, secure, de- under data governance. Like I completely see that. I think it's mad that you have telephone consult, email consult, face-to-face consult, all kind of like flowing through various different kind of pathways and stuff. Like, I think that that's, that's, um, yeah. And besides that being just madness for the doctor and nurses, it's just so unsecure and unreliable. Again, as you mentioned, how can you audit that? How can you make sure that uh, that all the patient data is stored in the correct way? Then there's the problem of needing to retype what the patients told you into a third system where uh, you actually need yeah, to definitely. put the, the patient records in. So, uh, yeah, there is a lot of... I think that that makes total sense. So let's talk a bit about, because I don't know, you didn't say the word, 
but the bit about where you're able to or you are enabling a sort of digital interaction around symptom checking symptom discovery pathway generation with the patient that's kind of more that's getting into this area of ai and you know learning language models and lms and all this other stuff and so what um how far down that pathway is it and, and how, or how would you describe this because obviously i know that you know ai and ai and healthcare is a big area of interest for you just generally um, and obviously it's not not just you i think there's quite a few people out there that think it's going to be pretty important but how far down that pathway is what you're talking about currently it's it's not that far all these tools are already available out there the question is more about the mindset of of the patients and the doctors uh, making the most out of those tools so yeah. uh, currently like we could do it already, but as you probably know, there is a bunch of regulation uh, related to making yourself uh, into a medical device and all of that. So as a, I, th- as I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, I had a conversation yesterday, many conversations I'm having at the moment around LLMs. So using LLMs within a medical device and actually, you know, how on earth the regulation regulators are, have any chance of keeping up. I mean, basically the issue is though, is that, because it's such a highly regulated space, this is my view, you can tell me whether you think different. One of two things is going to happen. Probably both will happen. One is that people will skirt the regulation and do it anyway and launch something where they have decided that they're not going to go and seek it as a regulated medical device and they're just going to crack on. And then it will give some junk results at some point, bad advice, unchecked advice, wrong advice, false advice, and then there'll be lawsuits and so forth, maybe patient harm, patient injury. Or the other, the other thing that will happen is that regulators just physically won't be able to actually approve anything because they won't, they're not quick enough to understand and adapt to this like seismic singularity that we've just moved through. Like how on earth do you apply these relatively static regulatory models and frameworks to something like, you know, chat GPT? I, I just, I can't, when, when every time you ask it a question, it might say something slightly different not wrong, not right, but it might be slightly different. And you can't look in the black box. You can't look under the hood. You don't know. I think it's really difficult to figure that one out. It it is. And as I mentioned before, already like a more simpler tool, a digital tool is already a big hassle for many of the of the bodies that need to give you the permits and assess, uh, assess your technology against certain regulations. It takes them months to get over that kind of line to even tell you okay can you operate this way or not so uh, i see that as a huge issue when it comes to disrupting the the health uh, healthcare as a whole because uh, if they then the new novel solutions can't get to the market and uh well all all people will just go for it anyway and then there'll be a massive loss and what we've heard from what we've heard from the doctors who we are working closely with uh, uh, in Estonia, especially, and, and constantly asking them their kind of needs and, and problems is the like, do not mention AI because they are really allergic to the to the some solutions out there that say that they don't give enough uh, kind of accurate decision making power that would actually help me. They confuse me and like, like yeah. I, I don't want to go there yet. So like... Yeah. It's good and bad at the same time. So as we are trying to move uh, the fastest 
uh, without uh, getting ourselves tangled in uh, in huge regulatory uh, issues, I, meaning yeah, not making ourselves into a medical device. Yeah. But at the same, same time, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> but at the same time, the legislators or the even the doctors and uh, I don't know how many doctors today are trained in what AI can do in medicine, so they can't keep up. Yeah. I, I... I think it's really it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because you clearly can't stop technological change. Kind of the point, you know, like this stuff's going to keep improving and keep improving. Where where it where where the rub is going to come is that um, a, a, using AI for anything that isn't under the banner of medical device, sure, you know, like for example, integrating AI to help schedule appointments, appointments more yeah. efficiently, sure, yeah. whatever, like great, mm-hmm. like that, you know. We're not talking about that. We're talking about integrating some some piece of AI into some kind of diagnosis or risk assessment or or treatment pathway or something where there's a genuine definition that would class as some kind of medical device. Mm -hmm. And in theory, I mean, I'm not checked, clearly not checked every single regulatory framework in the the world, but I'm pretty familiar with CE marking framework with the EU, with the UK, with the FDA, with MDSAP, which is like Australia, Canada and so forth. And in theory, you you should not be able to have anything regulated that is a black box. In, in theory, you should you should. The way it's currently written is that you have to be able to explain and to show why your algorithms and how that works and what that flow is. So fixed number of inputs here equals a fixed number of outputs and you have to be able to explain the stuff in the middle Mm. what you can't say is trust just trust the black box we've trained it on everything on the internet you know but at the same time we we do want to get uh, to the future where we get prompted about our health concerns even before we get to the doctor's office right and that all can be done only with the help of ai well no but if but that's different right let's say for example if you have like a AI that's running and it's you've got an, a watch on your phone and it can see that your heart rate variability is consistently out or something that's in the background and it says, hey, I'm concerned about this. You might need to look at this. I think that's fine. OK, because what you're not saying is you're, you're then you're then essentially saying you should go and have a look at this, go and speak to a medical professional in some way, shape or form. Right? you're not that probably technically falls that, that I don't know where that would fall. I don't know. Maybe that would skirt just outside a medical device. You know, I don't. I, I think that's kind of that's kind of okay. I think it's going to be like, um, or like for example, interpreting a set of results and a set of patient questions to determine what someone's treatment should be, and trying to use AI to combine both of those to determine a better treatment path. Like that, I think is going to be really hard to figure out the regulatory on that one. But you, like you say, like it might be transformative for the human race. And healthcare systems. So, I don't know. I'd like to get to that after the the commercial break. Uh, how that? How yeah, would look, that this look is like? the thing. You're driving this. <laughs> you're driving. You're driving my show again. I love oh, it. Right. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Don't worry. Johan, my producer, was waving at me frantically. I was just ignoring him. Um, sorry. So let's do our final commercial break on this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roos, and my guest, CEO and co-founder of Certific East Nordisk. We'll be right back. The station that makes you feel good. Animal Aid campaigns peacefully against all forms of animal abuse. 
and promotes cruelty-free living. We've been doing this for over 40 years. Every year, more and more people are living satisfying lives completely cruelty-free. Check out animalaid.org.uk. It's time for a kinder world. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roos, um, and my guest this week, Lise Narusk, CEO and co-founder of Certifix. Just before the break, we were kind of getting into this whole very murky, difficult area of AI and healthcare and everything that's going to happen. So, Lise, I know that you have some kind of like four principles or insights that you think are going to drive healthcare forward like the four things I think AI was one prevention was another data was another. How about what, 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 what are these kind of topics? Like, where do you want to start? Well, I, I think I kind of started with it already. Uh, I really do. Yeah, believe a little bit, just a little that, bit. That we're not, we're not dealing with, with healthcare today. We're dealing with sick care and that's the biggest issue. Yeah. And we can't move into healthcare if we don't, make some structural changes to the system and how we think of our health also as individuals so yes a lot of has to, a lot of it has to do with prevention a lot of prevention has to do with ai and automation uh, a lot of prevention also has to do with getting the burden away from the healthcare system uh, and adding more doctors obviously doesn't help with uh, increasing uh, problems with uh, with diseases that are completely preventable with aging population and so on and so on so like how do we actually get to this bright future of being able to keep people uh, healthy longer and not dealing with the problems when it's already too late and too expensive but i, I don't really think see... that, yeah sorry <laughs> I don't really see any of the kind of governmental programs or policies or or vision documents dealing with something that says that, okay, this is how we're going to tackle this problem as a whole, meaning that we're going to shift more responsibility onto the patients by educating them more. We're going to, I don't know, improve uh, uh, access of digital health companies to the market and enable them to to bring more novel solutions to the market faster to help more patients and so on and so on. So it's it's more like how can we increase the salaries? How can we train more doctors? And I don't know what's your take, but it seems to me that like it doesn't it doesn't work. Well, I think there's like there's fundamentals. Every single country has a pretty different system, you know which I don't think is helpful because every single country effectively has to do something slightly different. Um, also, I think what's really unfortunate is that the regulatory systems, though while not totally out of whack with each other, also aren't aligned either. So you have these huge barriers 
to being able to scale globally. And so and therefore problems are solved and being solved slightly differently in different places with, under different conditions, which just increases friction and makes it harder and just in general. Fragmentation, yeah. Yeah, to, to kind of to, to, to move cross border, to move globally and to think in a global way like you know there's all sorts of things are that won't work in this market you don't understand x market because you you know there's something so unique about this and have you got that regulator you sort of said the same thing like the permits and permissions and all this other stuff i think like the 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 the, it's really clear to me that you cannot uh, we're beyond a point now in europe the us probably most other countries that would be considered to be developed countries which is a pretty terrible term but but there we are where you can train more doctors and nurses at a rate that will then actually resolve these issues that's gone like you can't do that like in an ideal world yes you'd have loads and loads and everyone could sit down and see their gp and that would be wonderful we're just way beyond that point now like you you cannot train that many more people it's not to say you should stop trying and we should always be trying to bring people into the healthcare profession. And like, that's not that's not the issue. But at the same time, we have to be figuring out a technology solution or technology solutions across all of the different areas. And um, AI is almost like uh, it's kind of such a term that gets thrown around. I think it's going to be involved in everything. It's going to almost be the layer that integrates everything and smooths everything out and provides the glue or the lubrication in the system. It's not like like it's not like you've got sort of like diagnostics and then you know administration and you know hospital care acute care and stuff and then another bucket which is like ai it's everywhere it's going to be involved in everything and it will improve percentage points or greater every single piece of the puzzle and like on one end it can be as simple as a simple decision tree and a couple of algorithms and on the other end you've obviously got chat gpt which can be used to do all kinds of crazy stuff and goodness knows what's going to come next the I think the issue where I get the, the issue where I get to, but this is just because I'm a medical device guy, is 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 the regulation. Like I just I, I can't, and it sounds really boring, and I'm sorry for anyone that finds it really dry. Is that we've we've already got huge backlogs in Europe and the UK. FDA is way better, so congrats to the FDA. So hats off to those guys, unless it's like a de novo one, in which case that's really difficult. But generally, FDA is pretty good in the UK and Europe. We're so backlogged. They're like, it's it's sometimes two years to even get a simple medical device through, let alone something seismic. So to your point, I guess a roundabout way is that with AI is almost the way I think about it is a technology platform that can be implemented by any company or healthcare system in in or an almost infinite number of ways. I think there needs to be some regional EU or governmental approach around how do we integrate this technology and what approach do we take to this technology platform in this different settings as opposed to at the moment what's happening is it's going to get pushed down on the manufacturer right and it's going to be like right you tell us why you the way you've used it is safe and that's going to stifle innovation and slow stuff down as well as create patient risk because there's going to be companies just do it anyway Agree, but at the same time, if you think of the the way you use AI uh, on big data sets and how, like, what kind of data sets would you need in order to train the AI to make it work like it's supposed to work, then in many countries, 
even in EU, uh, we don't even have proper uh, central uh, medical health record systems. So, and yeah, many well, that, I mean, that, practices that's... still work on pen and, and paper with pen and paper. Right. So like, that's, I mean, yeah. how do you that's, make that jump? <laughs> well, that's that's like it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs almost, which is sort of like you you uh, as a basic table stakes, everything has to be digital. Yeah, you have to you have to have digital health records. You have to have digital data sets. Otherwise, this debate doesn't matter. So, but that's my point around like a regional approach. If if these countries are within the EU, if I was the EU, I would be saying right, this is clearly the direction of travel. We need to get all of these systems. If we mm -hmm. believe that, that the pathway in the EU is greater integration and all that stuff, then they would have to get everyone on the same or some kind of similar digital platform. And then you can start to do much better things. Because if you're still having a discussion around like country X still uses pen and paper, then it's kind of tough. Exactly. And I was just reading a research paper, I think, uh, written by European Commission, where they have tried to create this uh, common a legislative environment around uh, health data for like 10 years but it's the same thing that Estonia did with the ID card like you need to make it obligatory otherwise it yeah. doesn't voluntary so is a waste of time kindly ask like no. please update and upgrade and build your your central health records in a way that uh, they are integratable the data is portable interoperability issues are solved and so on then it's not going to happen ever uh, and like there's crazy stuff that's going to need to get ironed out like in some regulatory frameworks i won't mention one it's like they dictate how you're supposed to develop the software it's like you have to develop you you can't in some you can't you're not allowed to use the agile process you're not allowed to do sprints and this type of stuff like what are you talking about <laughs> like what are you going to like you're going to go and like or th th this is the thing is when as medical device you, you're in theory you, your suppliers, so the things that supply you and your kit and so on, you can audit them and check that they adhere to these regulations. Like, good luck order, you know, auditing a neural network. Like, good luck. I mean, like, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't, but, but I think we should be trying to figure out how we put these guardrails in place in order to get the best from this technology, not ignoring it, or which is what's happening right now, which is my, my feeling is it's getting pushed down onto manufacturers and that, that the governments and regulators are just ignoring it and saying, well, you come to me and tell me your thing's safe and you show me the data, which just isn't, that, that's kind of, I think that's like a cop-out. Another thing you uh, you mentioned, and and it, which is important to me also, that uh, where we would like to get to with Certific is also enabling more of the preventive side of healthcare. As I, as I mentioned, like we can't we can't fix the healthcare by by just allowing people to go to the, to the doctor asking for a medication and saying like please cure me and make me better because yeah. yes the reg regulative systems in different countries are different uh the the problems in healthcare and and the problems uh regarding different health health ailments are slightly different but the basis or the abc is still the same the people what, what mostly ails people is problems related to Lack of sleep, too much stress, lack of movement, yeah. and then eighty-seven percent of all deaths in Europe come from these preventable, uh, pre preventable lifestyle lifestyle diseases. So, like, let's tackle just I don't know one of them, diabetes, and try to work it, make it work in a way that uh, I don't know kids from starting from kindergarten understand what it means. Uh, if you do certain types of decisions, eat certain types of foods then this is what happens to your health right so it's it's 
I really kind of, I would love to see a future where we tackle this problem from several angles at the same time and not just try to solve it in a, in a, in a, in a pocket in a country in Europe somewhere. And then another country tries to solve it in a different way in another part of the world and so on. So it it needs a much more complex approach. I agree. And I would say like, again, without wishing to, there's loads of different ways to look at that. I mean, and there's also a socioeconomic component, which is people at lower socioeconomic brackets have higher degrees of health issues and things like that which is that's technically a health issue but it's caused by different underlying societal issues which again are difficult to solve and things like that but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try don't get me wrong um the one thing i would love to see which i don't think we're going to see anytime soon but like is some kind of um equivalency so for example if you get fda clearance you get eu clearance barring a few you know if you get eu you can get fda easier you can get uk easier like let's call this tribalism around my regulatory frameworks better than your regulatory framework they're all trying to do the same thing they're literally trying to do the same thing like if you wanted to stimulate innovation and start to actually scale this stuff up they're making it easier for businesses to work across border and quicker right so the quicker you can scale the more money you can raise the faster you can go whereas at the moment you have these huge cliff edges that sometimes take a year or two to even get clear of you know so yeah that would be one of the things i would like to see that's why only one percent of estonian startups uh in terms of revenue are also are, are health tech so like right. health tech is hard oh. and and it's hard mostly because of regulation because your your runway doesn't last that long uh, until uh, the folks on the other side finally understand what you want to do. Yeah, and and like it's not to say. I mean, I certainly agree with the the, the principles of legislation of, of regulation. Like it has to be safe, has to be quality, has to adhere to what you say, and all that kind of stuff. Like that's all fine. I'm not trying to skirt that, but there has to be a more efficient way. You know what I mean? There just has to. You can't be keeping people waiting for two years or whatever it is. Um, so look, we've come to the end of the show. So Lise, quickly before we go, we've got like one minute. If there's anyone listening who's an entrepreneur or who's a founder or whoever, what, what's your kind of one piece of advice that you go to to keep you kind of keep going and stay on mission? Uh, for the founders who are in health tech, uh, I, I encourage you and strongly root for you because... It's not an easy path, but it's a very, very rewarding path uh, if you can make an impact. Uh, and, and I hope you can. And uh, other than that, we need to put our backs together and try to uh, also impact uh, the legislative side of things. So, so my That's wish. A great, way to end, great way to end the show. So thank you very much for everyone for listening. Lisa Norris, CEO of Certific. Thank you very much for coming on. And we'll be back again next week with another show. Thank you. Thank you. keys if you're not coming home You packed your bags full of letting go You were moving in, now you're moving on There's no getting used to you being gone You were down, now you're giving up Bye.